As many of you know, most of you know, um, beginning next week we're going to look at Hebrews, a couple survey messages, and then we're going to be digging in uh, verse by verse. I'm really looking forward to that. But hopefully in this series, as we have overlooked the whole storyline of the Bible, it will have helped you gain a perspective of the parts. Because to see the whole helps you to see the parts. In our study, as you saw up here, we have begun with the creation account. And God created the world in disaster that Adam and Eve brought upon it through their sin. And then we saw the patriarchs. So God made this covenant promise to Abraham that even extends to us. And then we looked at the Exodus when God redeemed His people out of slavery, which became a model and a type of the redemption we have in Christ. And the, the conquest in which Joshua and the people overtook the land by the power of God. Then we saw the judges, the dark ages of the Bible. When the people of Israel showed they needed a Savior and God provided a Savior called Judges again and again and again. Then came the kingdom. The kingdom started with Saul and then David and Samuel then split up. Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Israel destroyed by the Assyrians. Judah exiled into Babylon which brought us into the exile. Judah spent 70 years in Babylon reaping the consequences of their sin. The aim was to teach them of repentance. As you see at the end of Daniel... Daniel 9 and Ezra 9 and Nehemiah 9, all talking about repentance and coming back. And then the return, when in three phases, Judah returned to the promised land, a portion of them anyway. And then we looked at the silence period, the, the, the time between Malachi and Matthew, which we don't have biblical revelation, but which is the story and history of the Bible. We looked at that. And then we spent a week on the life of Jesus, which we identify as the gospel stage. Right? Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament was pointing to. Last time we looked at the church by looking at Acts chapters 1 through 12, which told the development of the church. And today we come to our final stage, which is Acts chapter 13 through 28. So if you can, you'd open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. And for one last time, we're going to sing our little song that we have sung. And uh, hopefully you've got it memorized because no helps today. You ready? Let's sing it together. Twelve stages in the Bible, let's learn them one by one. Creation, patriarchs, exodus, conquest, judges, kingdom, exile, return, da 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 da, da silence, gospel. Church and missions. All right, good. It was maybe a little bit challenging. Yes, Andrew, you have a question. Oh, well, it got turned off, didn't it? That was pretty nice, huh? So, I'm sorry, I didn't stand in front of it. I talked to your mom. We have another question, yes, from the... <laughs> it's on, you know what? Kids, that's right, you learn. I knew that, actually. So, parents, if you needed to cheat, you could have done that. Good. All right, any other comments before we continue on? (laughs) You know what? I appreciate your kids are engaged and everything, and I appreciate that. You know, more than you would know, I appreciate the fact that kids are engaging what we're doing. Um, Well, each of these 12 stages are a historical era of the Bible. And, and, And especially as we come to the end, I've noticed that they are not perfect. Especially, uh, I have seen that, you know, there, there's more after missions because there is the end, the return of Christ, His kingdom, and forever. 
which isn't included in these 12 stages of the Bible. Um, I don't know why Max Anders, who basically uh, originated the uh, 12 stages, I've, I've basically taken this book and taken the 12 stages from this book. Uh, he, this picture here is, is his picture. Of, um, we've taken these 12 stages and that's all he did. And I wonder why, why didn't he include the, the rest of it? Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure. In the second half of this book, though, you can look in the theological portion. He does talk about the return of Christ. Um, but this rate stage, it would be kind of hard for us to go 14 stages in the Bible. So we're just going to go 12 and we'll leave it at that. We'll hit heaven and eternity at other times. But they're not perfect, but they do help to give you a, a structure, I hope, of the Bible. Uh, it's been amazing the, uh, the positive feedback I've received from this sermon series I've done. It's been more than any other sermon series. I don't think it's because my messages have been better. I think it's some because you've appreciated the, um, the overall view of the Scriptures. And I appreciate your feedback on that. But today, we're going to look at missions. Our text is Acts chapter 13 through 28. We're not going to get through all of that. There is just way more here than we could ever get at, but we'll, we'll try. It is an exciting passage that teaches how the church initially expanded into the Gentile world. We have Christ crucified, the, the, the church beginning to flourish, mostly in Judaism, and then it expands into the Gentile world. And it's not that God's heart for missions begins here in the book of Acts, because God has always had a heart for the people. Consider that when God made the covenant to Abraham, He said, this covenant is for you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That is, the blessing of Abraham goes to all families of the earth. And Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, that in that way God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Or consider Psalm 117, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all nations, all nations are called to worship the Jewish God. It's a summons, Jew and Gentile. It's not cry and worship the Lord, the nation of Israel. It's all nations are called to worship Him. And that was the Old Testament, Psalm 117. Or that great missionary psalm in Psalm 67 says, God, be, be gracious to us, Israel is saying, and bless us and cause Your face to shine upon us so that we might have the resources and the ability and the desire and the heart then to go and be a blessing to the world. That Thy name may be proclaimed on the earth. Your salvation among all nations. God, bless us so that Your salvation can go to the whole earth. God has always had a heart for missions, but it's here in the book of Acts that we see His heart for the, the nations manifested clearly as, as He really drives to make sure the Gospel goes out to all the nations. And, and again, in Acts, we're not going to have an opportunity to exhaustively look at our text. My, my, my message this morning is going to be like it's always been, historical. We're just going to take from Acts 13 and start just walking through the Bible so you see how it is that this stage overflowed itself. And along the way, we're going to have some points of application just to, just to help it. It's going to feel like my message on the church from Acts 1 to 12. We just worked through there and, and maybe pulled out some lessons from it. I have five lessons that I'm going to pull out from, from our text this morning. They didn't make it to your notes, so you've got to pay a lot of attention to try to grab them. First point, first application point this morning is the mission starts with prayer. We see that in Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now, the word Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who, were called, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. 
While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then they went, then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. This is where we see the missions movement of the church begin. Now, it's not like there was no missionary activity before this time, because you remember in Acts chapter 10, we looked at last time, that Peter went to Caesarea, to the house of Cornelius, and brought the gospel to the Gentiles there. But what's interesting about that is Peter almost went reluctantly. He only went when God forced him to and told him to, had a vision, said, you go there um, to do that. After he went in Acts chapter 11, he had to explain himself. And the Jews, rightly so, rejoiced. And they said in Acts chapter 11, verse 18, they glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Right? The Jews got it, but they didn't get it because... Though they knew that the Gentiles had been granted repentance, they didn't go with the message of the Gospel to the Gentiles. They stayed where they were. Now, now the Gospel went to foreign lands. In Acts chapter 11, we see the church there in Antioch. Except the difficulty there in, in Antioch is that they are speaking the Word of God only to the Jews. As it says in one of these verses here. Um, yeah, verse 19 speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. So though they were in Gentile territory, they really weren't reaching out to the Gentiles yet. But in Acts chapter 13, we see the church then making efforts to reach the world with the Gospel. It's in obedience to Matthew 18. Jesus said, Matthew 28, the very last instruction He gave to His disciples, all authority in heaven has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, of all the nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And what we see here in Acts 13 is obedience to that command. But what's interesting here in Acts 13, if you look closely, you see and notice it's really the Holy Spirit that pressed the issue. Because the people, the Jewish people at this time didn't really understand how, how, how the Gentiles were to be recipients of the mercy of God. We see the leaders of the church in Antioch, five of them, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaen, <clears throat> and Saul. They were ministering to the Lord and fasting. So what does that mean, to ministering to the Lord? I, I think it meant that they were praying they were fasting, eagerly seeking earnestly God's direction for the church. God, we are here in Antioch and we, we desperately desire You to work among us. What is it we should do? And they were fasting. They were praying, seeking the Lord. And then God spoke. What a prayer meeting that would have been. Now many people say, well, God told me this and God told me that. They don't mean Hey, Carrie, this is what I want you to do. doesn't mean an audible. But what people mean by that when they say God told me, they, they just mean that I just had this impression that just in obedience to God, this is what I am feeling called to do, generally. Though some might claim that God spoke to them directly. These people, these leaders, had God speak to them directly. And the Holy Spirit said this, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And the work to which God had called them was the work of missions. And we're going to see this work itself out in chapters 13 and 14 especially, and then continuing on throughout the rest of the book of, of Acts. The, the leaders of the church knew this. Maybe the Holy Spirit told them more things because they would fasted some more. They prayed over Barnabas and Saul, who later became known Paul, laid their hands on them, and sent them away. So somehow they knew that the ministry which they called them was a work of, of, um, of missions. But I just make this point. Mission starts with prayer. 
starts with prayer because God is the one who directs the mission of the church. We're going to see this in Acts. Remember, I spoke last time about the, the Acts of the Apostles, really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's what God does. And we're going to see how active God is in the role of, of missions here. But I just say, Rock Valley Bible Church, if, if we want to be, be um, strategic and effective in missions, we need to be a people of prayer. That's where it started here in the book of Acts. I believe that that's where we need to be to impact the world for Christ. Well, I want to mention now, before we dig into it, the rest of Acts describes three missionary journeys. There's missionary journey number one, there's missionary journey number two, and kids, help me out, there's missionary journey number three. Good job. Uh, The first one takes place in Acts 13 and 14. The second one takes place in Acts chapter 15 through 18. And then the third one, Acts chapter 18 through 21. Uh, Just these are journeys that Paul made, and uh, I just want to trace these journeys through uh, what we're doing. In order to facilitate that, I have um, put together some maps. There's a map of the ancient world, the time we're, we're looking at. We've got Antioch over here, which has got starred. That's where it all started. The whole missions movement started from the church at Antioch. And it says here in verse 4, they sent out by the Holy Spirit, and there again you see God's role in this, they went down to Seleucia. And there they sailed to Cyprus. Seleucia was on the coast, just about a bit south of Antioch, you can see it there, and then they sailed across the eastern portion of the Mediterranean Sea and came to the western shore of the island of Cyprus, which is a city, actually in verse 5, it's identified as Salamis. And they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, is what verse 5 says. Again, this is what they always did. The book of Acts, we see them going to the Jew first and then all to the, to the Gentile. It makes sense because the gospel had come to the Jews. It was the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. This was their Messiah and went to them, and only when they rejected it, or as they embraced it, then they went to the Gentiles next. That's what they did throughout the whole island. In fact, you even see here in verse 6, when they had gone through the whole island, as far as the eastern end, into pa- the western end, into Paphos. They passed through the whole ways. Now they met this Jewish false prophet, Bar-Jesus. For the sake of time, we're going to pass over him. But just for our point, we see they traveled through the entire island, just kind of preaching and going and doing their work, but they kept on. In verse 13, we see that Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. That is, they traveled north to the city called Perga, which is a seacoast, the southern portion of Asia Minor there. And they were in Pamphylia, and then after that, they continued on. John left them, returned to Jerusalem. And then we get in Acts chapter 13, verse 14. Going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch. We just see it up there. There is another Antioch up there. The Antioch there is called Pisidian Antioch because it's the Antioch in Pisidia as opposed to the Antioch in Syria or Cilicia. So there's two different Antiochs. But this becomes a key place. In fact, all of chapter 13 is devoted to what took place in Pisidian Antioch. I want to spend some time here because the text is so great and because I think what happens here is we have a model of what took place in many places that Paul visited in his missionary journeys. We read here in verse 15. They entered the synagogue. The officials said to them, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, let's say it. So Paul said, Okay, if I have a chance to speak, I'm going to speak. And he said here in verse 16, motioning with his hand, he said this, Men of Israel... By the way, before I read this, I want you to think in your mind 12 stages. Okay, Think about how many of the 12 stages he mentions in this message here. Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen, the God of this people, Israel, 
chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt with an uplifted arm. He led them out from it. For a period of about 40 years, He put, them, put up with them in the wilderness. When He had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, He distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, He gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. Concerning him, we've also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. And from the descendants of this man, David, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. All right, do you see the 12 stages there? Patriarchs, Exodus, conquest, judges, kingdom, gospel, so half of the stage of the Bible, you just, you just work through that. So we start, and it's, it's how effective, I think, just uh, study, studying these 12 stages of the Bible is. We just kind of get a sense of what's, of what's going on here. He skips over the exile and the return and the silence, but lands squarely on the Gospel in verse 23. From these descendants, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. And then he proceeds to preach Jesus to them. In fact, Following on here from verse 24 through the end of his sermon, basically, it's all about Jesus. This is my second point. Missions not only begins with prayer, but missions also is all about Jesus. I want to read these verses, and this time I want you to look for Jesus in these verses and maybe try to count them. How many times He shows up? I think they might come too fast for you, actually, but you can try. Verse 24. After John had proclaimed before His coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel... And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one is coming after me of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he has raised up Jesus, as is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow the Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he would served the purpose of God, his own generation fell asleep and was laid among the fathers and underwent decay. But he... That's Jesus, whom God raised, did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through Him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through Him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore, take heed, so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers and marvel and perish. From accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you would never believe, though someone should describe it to you. I read 19 verses and Jesus is mentioned by name or by pronoun mostly some 20 times. Laying particular emphasis upon His resurrection which He mentions four times. 
And I think this teaches us about missions is all about Jesus. And this is the reason why we send people out. This is why the reason why we support people in the work. This is why the reason we pray for the work of missions is because of Jesus. The summary of, of Paul's message comes in verse 38. I want to read it again. It sums up the Gospel in simple form. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through Him, that is through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through Him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. It's a Gospel in simple form. It's through Jesus we, give, we receive forgiveness. It's through Jesus that we receive freedom. You can see forgiveness right there in verse 38. Everyone who believes right, through Jesus is forgiveness of sins. So we talked about in the Lord's Supper, right? Our sins are wiped away. He'll no longer bring them to remembrance again. God, you, we, having forgiveness, no longer need to dread, bear the, the dread of judgment because we stand before Jesus, before God, perfect in His blood. Those who receive, receive forgiveness of sins. As it says in verse 39, through Him, everyone who believes is freed from all things which you could not be freed through the law of Moses, right? We're, we're freed from the law of Moses. No more sacrifices, no more rituals, no more needs to celebrate the feasts or to eat the kosher foods or to keep the land dormant for a year. No more need for a priest. No more need to go to Jerusalem three times a year to worship. We are free from all these things. We're free to worship and love and enjoy Jesus forever. It's the Gospel. I say, do you believe in Him? This day, do you believe in Him? Do you believe Jesus died for your sins? Your sins are wiped away. Do you believe you have a freedom in Jesus that you can only know through Him? Because, listen, apart from this, there's no reason for missions. If you don't believe this message, you'll never embrace missions. But if you believe this message, missions will be in the very core of your heart. Because the message of Christ is so great that we will spend and be spent to see His name sent out from among us. We'll read of the response to Paul's message in verse 42. It's very encouraging. Paul and Barnabas were going out. The people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Oh, Paul, come and tell us these things more. You know, I've received some positive feedback on um, the 12 stages. I haven't, haven't quite got this far yet, though. Oh, Steve, come back again. Tell us more. Tell us more. You can say that next time, maybe. Tell us more. Tell us more. Next Sabbath came in verse 43. When the meeting in the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas who were speaking to them, urging them to continue in the grace of God. Just, just pressing on. People believing. Uh, a crowd developing. Wonderful. And then the next Sabbath comes. I'm sorry, in verse 44. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. The whole city. Antioch, yeah, the news spread around. Here's this new teaching. It's teaching about the Messiah coming and they're talking around and all of a sudden they come. The whole city gathers together, crammed in the synagogues, maybe sitting out the windows, out the doors. And here's the message. But before even anyone preached, when the Jews saw the crowds, verse 45, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul. Barnabas spoke up boldly and said, it was necessary for the Word of God to be spoken to you Jews first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so God has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And, and he says this, you Jews, 
Right? As you Jews who were curious at first and then you saw the Gentiles, you didn't want to mix with the Gentiles, you began contradicting our things. You began arguing with us. Well, listen, this, this is God's plan. That you guys, since you reject it, we're turning to Gentiles because you all are light for the Gentiles. It's the Jew first. And he quotes here from the Old Testament, from Isaiah, I believe, that, that you would be light for the Gentiles. And your role is to bring light to the Gentiles. Here it is at the mission heart of God to bring salvation to them. And even as the Gospels come, this crowd has come, you've been a light, but now you're becoming dark. But the light is for the Gentiles. And so we turn to the Gentiles. I love the response. These are people who heard the Gospel for the first time. The Gentiles heard this, right? That the blessing to the Jews was coming to the Gentiles and that they were lights to bring salvation to us. They began rejoicing and glorifying the Word of the Lord. They began rejoicing. They went away from that service that morning rejoicing because they knew they had forgiveness of sins. They knew that they had freedom that which the law of Moses could never accomplish in their midst. They were ecstatic. This challenged by my response to the Gospel, your response to the Gospel. Are you ecstatic when you hear the Gospel? I say, hear it again for the first time. There's forgiveness in Christ. There's freedom in Christ. If you're thinking correctly, this will always be our response. And again, you see God's hand upon them. As many as have been appointed to eternal life believed. As God was in control, He had appointed some to eternal life and those who were believed. The Word, verse 49, was, was spreading. The Word of the Lord was beginning to spread throughout the whole region. But then comes some difficulty in verse 50. This is my third point. Mission starts with prayer. Mission's about Jesus. And thirdly, missions is difficult. Because you're going to face some difficulties here. And primarily the source of these difficulties come from the Jews. The Jews who were jealous. The Jews who were angry, contradicting things of Paul, incited, verse 50, the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Just imagine that. There they are, preaching the Gospel there in Antioch, and they're being driven away. It's the difficulty that the Gospel brings to a new, new region. It's hard. But that didn't deter Paul and Barnabas. They simply went out from the city, shook off the dust of their feet in protest, and they went to Iconium, which is then to the east, right? To Iconium next. The disciples were continually filled with joy in the Holy Spirit that was back in Antioch. And we're going to face more difficulties. We're going to run through the rest of Paul's first missionary journey and just see it in light of the difficulties he faces. We see in chapter 14 that he arrives at Iconium. They enter the synagogue, the same thing. Spoke, a large number of people believed, both Jews and Greeks. But, verse 2, the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and bittered them against the brethren. To make a long story short, you go down to verse 5. Attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with the rulers to mistreat and to stone them. In other words, they tried to kill them. They tried. An attempt was made to kill them. They became aware of this and fled to the cities of Lyconia, that is Lystra and Derbe. We see them in Lystra in verse 8. All right, perfect up there. We see them in Lystra facing some difficulties as well. Look down in Lystra, they come in verse 8. In 19, though, they face their difficulties. It says there, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having won over the crowds. They stoned Paul. This time they were pelting him with rocks and dragged him out of the city, supposing he would be dead. Paul was in a sorry state. They brought him out there. And I love this story. 
about how when the apostles, the disciples stood around this seemingly dead man, he got up and entered the city, went right back and says, oh, you know what, I need to preach the third point of my message, and went right back into the city. He stayed a, a day or night, and then he went away with Barnabas to Derby. And then after they preached the gospel in that city, they made many disciples, they returned. But before we get there, I just do want to make a point of this. Missions are difficult work. In this case, it's hostility by the Jews against, um, against the apostles. But difficulties come by various different ways here. It's physical persecution. Other difficulties are inherent in, in missions. Language difficulties are hard. It's hard to bring the gospel in a different language. It's, it's hard in difference of culture. Regardless of the message, people often view you. You come in from a foreign culture and people will be leery of you. I mean, think about if a Muslim comes in and tries to set up the mosque and tries to get things going. Aren't we a little bit leery of that? As believers in Christ, we believe they were the truth. But even the culture is like, what? what is that? And there's just an apprehension there. That's the same apprehension that Christian missionaries face in other societies. There are difficulties of living, especially in remote locations. Like in today, I know new tribes have done a lot of work. Dirk, you've done a lot of work with that, trying to help just even living among the tribes of Papua New Guinea or deep in the Amazon jungle. Difficulties of loneliness, being right, the only light there for, for the surrounding people and just you don't have the encouragement of the fellowship that it comes because missions is difficult. The resources aren't there, but that's missions work. It is, it's difficult. My fourth point this morning is this. Missions can focus on strengthening. Oftentimes we think of missions, we just think about pioneering work. And that's well and good, but there's often this missions work also about strengthening. And we see that here in verse 21. When Paul returns, he returns exactly the same way which he had come. Verse 21. After they had preached the gospel to that city in Derbe, made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. Just going right back the same way that they'd come. But when they were going back, they were, verse 22, here's the key word, they were strengthening the souls of the disciples. They were encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. These new believers were facing opposition and difficulty in their, in their society with a, a new message that they had embraced. And Paul's mission was to encourage them. Say, listen, it's not surprising you're facing these difficulties. This is the way of the Christian life. Or as we said in First Peter, remember the theme of First Peter? It's this. It's what? Suffer now. Glory later, right? The, the life of the Christian is suffering today. It's glory later. So the difficulties and the tribulations you're facing today, you must enter them to enter the kingdom of God, right? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's the path of tribulations in order to get to the kingdom. That was a strengthening effort. Another strengthening effort comes in verse 23 appointing elders, establishing the churches. Right? When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Right? Just, just establishing communities of people, setting up the church, appointing elders, appointing a community, because people are strengthened in community. There's something about gathering together, say on Sunday mornings like this, or on Sunday nights, we're going to start next Sunday night with our family nights. There's something about gathering together in our small groups in the home that, that encourages us and that strengthens us and helps us. And that's what Paul was seeking to do, is to establish these communities of believer for mutual edification. Furthermore, strengthen them by just committing them to God. They prayed for them. Commend them to God in whom they had believed. And they left. Just said, God, take care of these people. Help them. They believed and trust in You. 
strengthen them in these days. And I think Paul's prayer even was a strengthening activity. Well, then they traveled home. Verse 24 speaks about how they passed through Pisidia. That's coming down south. Came into Pamphylia, which is a region. They spoke in the word to Perga. They went down to Italia. Verse 26, and there they sailed to Antioch. And so they came down, sailed across the way, and came home. That was the end of the first missionary journey. All right? We just have two more to go. And the second one, we're going to go faster, and the third one, we're going to go really, really fast. But I want you to notice that when they came home, they gave a report. Verse 27. They'd arrived and gathered the church together there in Antioch and began to report the things that God had done through them, how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And there were stories probably about what took place in Antioch. You know, they would have told about how they went in there and they preached Jesus. And the whole town was excited. And the next Sabbath, everybody attended the synagogue. And then when I, I preached the gospel, then the Jews did not like it. And then, then we got kicked out of that city. And then, then we went to Iconium. We fled there and we preached the same thing and the, the same message. Because we're, we're missionaries, we preached the same message again and again and again in different places. And the same thing happened. The Jews were interested, but then they came up and they persecuted us. And we fled to Lystra and, and to Derby. And you never happened, guess what happened in Lystra and in Derby? And we strengthened, we established a church and, and would have been a glorious message that came to the church. And verse 28, they spent a long time with the disciples. Best we can tell, this long time was probably a couple years they were spending there in Antioch. Um, at this point, with the gospel just going to the Gentiles, in Acts chapter 15, we see the, the debate do they need to be circumcised? These are uncircumcised Gentiles, they need to be circumcised. And they worked all that through. And at the end of chapter 15, we see the second missionary journey beginning. Verse 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, and again, after some days was, was a couple years probably, they said, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we had proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. In other words, Paul's saying, let's go back. Let's renew relationships. I believe, though, this is strengthening. Let's go back and strengthen them. See where they're weak. See how we can help. And let's strengthen them, encourage them, help them in some way. See how they are. See if they need more resources. See if they need help. See if they need some clarification. And see what, what, what can be done there. Sadly, it was a disagreement between Barnabas and Paul regarding whether Mark would go with them. He had deserted them on the first journey. Barnabas, being uncle to Mark, wanted to bring him along, but Mark didn't want to go. Paul said, no, don't take them along. And there occurred a sharp disagreement. They separated, sadly. But Barnabas and Mark left, sailed away to Cyprus, never be heard from again in the rest of the book of Acts. And then in verse 40, we see, though the Holy Spirit traces the journey of Paul, Paul chose Silas and left, being commended by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And so he took off. And what was his aim? He was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So here we have the second missionary journey that he took off, went up here, went through the region of Syria and uh, Cilicia, that's north, going to the same churches where he was before. He went to Derby and to Lystra and seeking to just strengthen the churches. We see chapter 1, chapter 16, verse 1. They came to List Derby and to Lystra. And, and, and they were there before, and their, their aim there was just to strengthen them. It says in verse 5, So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. So here's the, mission, the, 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 uh, um, the thrust of this mission was to go on strengthening. And the believers were being strengthened, and they, they were. And then Paul continued on. After he visited, I believe, then Iconium and Antioch, he continued to try to go on. Now look at verse 6. See, 
I'm not sure if you saw that. Go, press back, Adriana, and then press forward one more time. Look what has happened. They go to Iconium, then they go to Antioch. They try to go into Asia, but the Holy Spirit says, no, I can't go there. They, they go up and they try to go into Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit says, no, you can't go there. And so they went into Mysia and basically landed there eventually in Troas. It's very interesting of how they, they wanted to go into Asia, and the Spirit prevented them. Look at verse 6, Acts 16. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian regions. That's right where there we see. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. What an amazing thing that is. Here they have the gospel. It needs to get out. Go to the Gentile world. The Holy Spirit says, nope, not in Asia. Okay. And then, as they went on, verse 7, they came to Mysia. They were trying to go to Bithynia. The Spirit of Jesus prevented them. They need the gospel up there, but, but Jesus said, nope, nope, they don't get the gospel now. You've got other places to go. This is my fifth point, and my final point actually. Missions is unpredictable. Unpredictable. Now by this, I'm not saying that God is in any way out of control, but rather I'm saying it's unpredictable to us. We, we don't know exactly how the mission is going to happen. If it was written according to Paul, Paul would have gone into Asia. They had their plans, but God was directing their steps. And those of you who know about missions and missions efforts know how true this is. You plan and plan and plan and plan, and the day the plane lands, plans are changed. Right? Right, Dirk? <laughs> right, Frank? And anyone else who's been on mission trips, right? You, you know that's, that's the case. You, you go and you just... Yeah, and they were trying to go to Asia. Nope, not Asia. Nope, nope. We're going, we're going west. But we need to see this unpredictability as the sovereign guiding hand of God. Because you see this, I mean, it's definitely here in verse 6. The Holy Spirit guiding them, stopping them. Nope, nope, you're taking a wrong turn. Right, sometimes I do that with my son, that he's walking, he's going the wrong way, and I take his head and I just kind of turn him around. He's, he tries to go, and I just, you know, here's where we're going, David. And he starts walking off, and that's what God was doing. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, just directing, directing the people. This is where you got to go. you got to hit the Troas. And so they're in Troas, and, and they're, they're thinking about, well, what, what should we do, or, or where should we go? Well, it is interesting here that, um, that they had a vision. In verse 9, it said, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to them, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Macedonia is up north. At this point, I do want us to reflect upon this a little bit, about the sovereignty of God in missions. At the end of my message, which I've given Frank 15 minutes, okay, so I'm, my message is closely, quickly coming to an end, um, I wanted to share about his trip to the Philippines. And just, I think, by edification and encouragement for us, we're talking about missions, so share about that, pictures, what God has done. Uh, to my best of my knowledge, uh, our ministry, Grace Church of DuPage's ministry in the Philippines, started about 15 years ago when about four college students went over to the Philippines, had their, their minds all set, they had this missions organization they were going to help and they were going to do these things. And when they got there, somehow the organization had crumbled or the, the, the leader of that was going someplace else, something like that. Right, Frank? And then they said, well, what do we do? And they were in Manila. They went to the Grace to You office in Manila. That's the headquarters of John MacArthur's ministry, whatever. And, and they went there and they met this man named Pastor Lido. And there was a deacon with him, too, I think. Who was a deacon? Do you remember who was there? You don't even know. A deacon. And they said, well, we're just here. And they met. And, and I think it was the deacon who said, oh, we'll take you to our church. And you come and spend these next two and a half weeks with us. 
And I, so I remember Pastor Lito was like, mm, we do that? And he said, yeah, we'll do that, we'll do that. And it took him, and as a result of that, God just blessed that time. These four collegians came back to Grace Church to page and said, you wouldn't believe the church that we just met here, Divine Grace Bible Church. And, and uh, so I remember even the elders were a bit suspicious about how well this was, sent some elders over there, and from there has been a relationship for 15 years that... Grace Church of Page, a lot with Frank Yonke, then the Kishwaukee Bible Church, we've shared in that a little bit, has just fostered and developed for years to be able to help the church in the Philippines. That, I believe, is the sovereign, guiding hand of God. Unpredictable to us. These collegians, when they went over there, did not think about everything that would transpire from that. Because the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Our missions involvement in Nepal is the same way. I mean, we were just looking in the early days of Rock Valley Bible Church. Let's go someplace hard. And we're directed to India, perhaps. And someone said, who was a missionary in India, Phil, you remember that meeting we had. Was in, we were thinking about going to India, thinking about India. And the guy said, you want to really go someplace hard? Go to Nepal. And I remember, Phil, you say, you were sitting on the couch and your like, heart dropped or something because Phil was on the board of a missions agency that had some involvement in Nepal. And so we said, well, and so we just jumped on board with Bob Clinton and he helped us. Ministers the church there in Bakunde. It's just been the sovereign guiding hand of God. Unpredictable to us. But as we plan our ways, God directs his steps. It wasn't in Asia, it wasn't in Bithynia, rather it was in Macedonia. Okay, we can click on the, the next one. As they went to Macedonia, they went across the Aegean Sea through this island called Samothrace to Neapolis, and finally they land in Philippi, according to verse 12 of chapter 16. And throughout the rest of the journey, it's the same way, just following the hand of the Lord. Here they are in Philippi, wondering what to do. And uh, so they just went, verse 13 says, to a place of prayer. They didn't know who was there. They, they sat down. There's some women who had gathered. And so they start talking to one of them. And God opened the heart of Lydia, verse 14, to respond to the things spoken of by Paul. And here it is. God sovereignly bringing these women, bringing Paul together. God opening this person's heart so that as Paul spoke, it made sense in their heart. It wasn't a stony heart. It was a fleshly heart. Open and ready, prepared to receive the things that God had spoken. Soon after that, the minister went into Philippi and... The, it prospered so much that they're in jail. Can you imagine these guys in jail thinking, well, this is the sovereign plan of God? Looking back, we can see. But there they probably know. But listen, we need to understand, mission's unpredictable. It's guided by the sovereign hand of God. They're in jail. And the jail and the earthquake became the means of the Philippian jailer's conversion. Let's read about in Acts chapter 16, verse 30. What must I do to be saved? And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and all your household. Eventually, though, they were booted from Philippi, and they came in chapter 17 to Thessalonica. Verse 7, chapter 17, verse 1, when they traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. They've been there for three Sabbaths, kicked out of that city as well, went to Berea, according to Acts chapter 17, verse 10. Spoke there. They were better and more noble-minded than Thessalonica, but yeah, they got booted out of there. Then finally they came to Athens, Chapter 17, verse 16. There was some freedom in that city, but the city was mostly different, indifferent. Just kind of like, yeah, whatever. We see in verse 34 that some believed. Many were like, whatever, he says. There's some freedom there, but Paul went after Athens. He went then to Corinth is where he went. We read all about Corinth. A great reception with the Gospel. In chapter 18, verse 8, we, see that, we read that Crispus, the leader of the synagogue... This is like your chief rabbi. Believed in the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians. And when they had heard, were believing and being baptized. 
And look at verse 19. Look at verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul in a vision by night, Do not be afraid any longer. (laughs) But go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you for I have many people in this city. So picture, he's been going to all these different places. He went to Thessalonica and was kicked with Philippi, kicked out of there. Thessalonica, kicked out of there. He went to Berea and was kicked out of there. Went to Athens, probably in a different Went to Corinth. He's like, same old, same old. I'm going to preach the gospel. They're going to stone me. They're going to kick me out. Maybe they'll leave me for dead here. And, and God says, no, no, don't be afraid. No man's going to touch you. I have many people in this city who need to hear the gospel. You need to be here and bring the gospel to them because that man is one of mine and you need to bring the gospel to him. So stay there. And he stayed there, as it says... Right there in verse 11, for a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. (laughs) It's how God works. It's unpredictable. Sometimes He was only a few days in some situations. Some places He was only a few weeks. And here He's a year and a half. What, What caused Him to stay here in Corinth for a year and a half on His missionary journey? I think it's the unpredictable hand of God that's guiding Him around as He makes His will clear. Well, after the 18 months in Corinth... He returned to Antioch by way of Ephesus. He went uh, across the sea to Ephesus. And then he went down to um, Caesarea. Went down to Jerusalem where the church was. A quick trip down there. And then popped up again to Antioch. And he was back home. And thus ends his second missionary journey. Chapter 18, verse 22. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up greeted the church, probably in Jerusalem, went down to Antioch. In verse 23, and having spent some time there, he left. So he's going on his third missionary journey here. And you know what? For the sake of completeness, we don't, we don't have time to look at this one in detail. It'd be great. But I'm just going to put, put this map before you. And by the way, if you open your Bibles to the back of your Bibles, you should have maps that, that show this. But uh, one of my, my, um, my aims in this whole series is to equip you just in the history of the Bible. There's a reason why Paul's first, second, and third missionary journeys in back here so that when you, when you read through Acts, you can, you can kind of trace the geography. It makes a little bit sense here. But also, when you read about letters like to Thessalonica and to Corinth and to Philippi, these are the same Thessalonica's and Ephesians and Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi and Colossae that he visited on his journey. So you get a little bit of an insight better when you read even the epistles of what Paul's talking about. But his, his third and final journey, we're just going to go through that real fast. He was passing through, as it says in verse 23, the Galatian region and Phrygia. That's uh, kind of up, up north through there. So we're just going to watch this through the Galatian region and Phrygia. You can see Phrygia down there. And I'm sure he went right through back to his same places, visiting them again. This time he went down to Ephesus. And as it says in, uh, in chapter 18, verse 24, he finally arrives in Ephesus. And he's there just continuing to strengthen the people. He's, he's in Ephesus. And uh, he stayed there for quite some time. It says in chapter 19, verse 20, that the word of the Lord was growing mightily. And then 21 says, After these things were finished, Paul purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. But only after he'd passed through Macedonia and Achaia. And then after he'd been there, I must also see Rome. And so verse 22 says that after having sent into Macedonia two of those who were ministering to him, Timothy and Erastus, he stayed in Asia for a while. So he wanted to go to Macedonia and Achaia, but he, he, couldn't, he couldn't quite go yet. 
Finally, in chapter 20, verse 1, he goes into Macedonia. So we should probably see this now. He's going up. Macedonia, by the way, is the upper Greek region. So he's going in to visit those cities where it was before. Again, you see this same pattern, going back and visiting and strengthening them, going to Berea, going Athens, going to Corinth, based upon some of the testimony epistles we have. He probably retraced his steps. So here I've got him retracing his steps from Corinth back to Athens and then Berea and Thessalonica. So we can click again. Adrian, are we up? Yep, we're going in green. He's going right the same roads, same signs. He gets to Philippi, Neapolis, goes to Troas, and now he's coming back, stops by, talks to Ephesian elders at Miletus, and he's coming back into Tyre, jumps down to Caesarea, goes to Jerusalem, and uh, never really got back to Antioch because there he was arrested and he was taken to Rome where tradition has that he lost his head. Well, I hope this has been helpful to you. It does speak about just even the missions phase of the Bible. We could spend much more time here in Acts 20, Acts 21. Great, great thoughts here about what Paul was doing in his missions. But I want you to see just these, these places. Put them in your minds. Let them be familiar to you. Familiarize yourself with the maps in the back of the Bible and realize what missions is. Five points I've picked out is that missions starts with prayer. It's about Jesus. It's focused on strengthening. It can be difficult and it is un predictable. I say may God use us in his task of missions to spread the gospel to the world. Well, Frank is going to come. I've given him 15 minutes, so if he stays a little later, that's, that's okay. And then we have a, a few announcements then to close the service after that. But he's just going to give us an update on his trip to the Philippines, which I saw and was very encouraged by. I said, Frank, this would be perfect if you share. Open your Bible Paul went to Ephesus a couple of times, as Steve pointed out to us. Look at the last two verses of Ephesians 3. Are you there? Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Wow. Well, uh, why don't you go to that first slide of mine. I want you to orient you just a little bit. I was in the Philippines for two weeks. Um, Manila is where you, if you go to the Philippines, you fly into Manila. Uh, it takes about a full day from here to get there and uh, 24 hours traveling. But uh, the story that Steve was telling you about how we came to meet Pastor Lito, who is in Tarlac City in the Philippines, actually the thing that kept these students from getting to their church that they were going to serve for the last three weeks was the eruption of Mount Pinatubo and a volcano. And so they couldn't get there because of the lava flows and so they did go to Manila and try to figure out what to do next. Pastor Lito uh, was there and um, so Tarlac is a city of about 250,000 people. Uh, From there, Pastor Lito uh, and after training men for a few years supplied a pastor to a church in Magatarem. 61,000 people. Then to a small church, or a small city, Panaki, 48,000 people in that city. And now they're in Dagupan, 
with a Bible study, not a church plant yet, but close, sometime in this next year probably, in a city of about 150,000 people. Uh, next slide. This is uh, Pastor Lito's church. This is, he is the pastor of Divine Grace Bible Church. This is what it looks like. They've been on this corner for 18 years. On this corner. Uh, those college students were brought to this place about 17 years ago. And Grace Church of DuPage, KBC, Rock Valley Bible Church, have, some, of, some of you who have, who have had historical, uh, God has planted you in other places, have, have been involved in this gospel relationship. Next slide. I want you to see in this slide, on the right-hand side, you see the, 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 the bars on the windows there? Those aren't to keep people out uh, now. Uh, but that was Pastor Lito's home. That was his house. Eighteen years ago, the church there began to meet in his house. As the church grew, his house shrank. They, the church took up more and more of his house to where there wasn't any more house for them to live in. So they had to buy a piece of property and build a house in, a, in another place. Now, just outside that, that area, in the, the covered area, that's their fellowship hall. It's an open-air fellowship hall. It is covered, but it's, it's open-air. Next slide. Uh, if you look up at the top here of this slide, you see in English, Divine Grace Bible Church. That's because the people in the Philippines, most of them, if they go to school, they learn English. They can understand English. Many of them can speak it. But almost all of them can understand it. But then in the, there's, a, there's a temporary sign there below that that's in Tagalog. And those two words uh, mean free... That's the first word, free, pull. Now what that's advertising is, is a dental outreach, an evangelistic outreach to the community. And on September 5th, they had ten dentists at the church to pull anybody's tooth that needed to be pulled for free and to give them the gospel. And uh, so Divine Grace Bible Church all its years that it's been there, but even now, has a heart for evangelism in a lot of ways. Uh, in this case, it was for a dental outreach. You need a tooth pulled? Come on. Sign up. We'll, the anesthesia is free. The pulling of the tooth is free. And the gospel's free. Amen? Next slide. The reason I went to the Philippines this time was to focus on Pastor Lee, the 18 men who are in leadership or in training to be leaders around Pastor Lito in those four places that I outlined, outlined for you in the beginning, was to give them another dose of how to study the Bible, to preach and teach it verse by verse without, getting, without losing the big picture message of what they were preaching or teaching. We expected 18. Four weeks, three weeks before, 10 had signed up. Two weeks before, I called Pastor Lito. He said, oh, we got 20 signed up. Uh, 
one week before I left. He says, oh, it looks like we might have 30. We ended up having 53 people, seven area pastors. Not counting the pastors of the, of the sister churches. Seven area pastors came. 25 elders and deacons from the four churches. And another 23 just men in the church who heard about it and said, hey, I'd like to be a part of that. This was all to train them how to study the Bible, how to read the Bible carefully so that they could turn around and give it away, to teach it to other people in their church or or wherever God uh, placed them. What, What an amazing thing. One of the pastors, one of these seven pastors, said to Pastor Lito on the second day, he said, this conference is different than others that we go to. Usually, when we go there, the, whoever's sponsoring that are just trying to convince us of their doctrinal uniquenesses. Whatever their doctrinal statement is, they want us to believe their doctrinal statement. You're not doing that at all. You're just teaching us how to read the Word of God so we can understand it ourselves and develop the doctrinal statements. In fact, one pastor said to him, in fact, on the second day, I've already seen from what we've studied that I do hold a doctrinal position that needs to change. I'm going to need to change it. Wow. That's the way it ought to come. Up out of the text of the Scriptures develop those kinds of things. Wow. Now, this is the same kind of training that we've done with a few men right here at this church. Same kind of training that we've done with men at Kishwaukee Bible Church. Just helping them to learn to read the Bible more carefully than they've ever read it before. Working hard to not um, pass up anything and uh, to come to understand the message of the Scriptures. You know what Steve did for us this morning quickly was to preach expositionally through Acts starting at verse 13 or chapter 13, and and for a while. Now that was exposition. Now that was maybe at about 30,000 feet, but that was exposition. He was telling us what that passage, those passages in Acts, were saying. And just a wonderful thing. Next, next slide. These are the, I'm the guy on the left there. These are the, the, the four men, three pastors and a, and a, and a guy who, may be a pastor of a church one day. These are the guys who were the small group leaders as we divided these 53 men up into small groups. These are the, these are the guys. Ray is an insurance salesman, half-time. And the other half of the time, he's the pastor of the church in Panakee. Pastor Lito is the full-time pastor in Tarlock. Pa- pastor Bobot is the fir- full-time pastor trained in Tarlock, sent out to pastor a church in Magathanaim. And Alvin is the owner of a Honda dealership in the Gupan City, who is a Bible study teacher there now. You're going to see another picture of that later. Next, next slide. This is a picture of one or two of the small group leader, uh, small groups meeting around tables as we were studying the Word. Now, what are they praying about? 
One of every, in every session, after we had studied the passage, we asked this question. How would you shepherd your own heart with what you have learned from this passage today? And then we'd have them talk with, with each other, somebody near them, and then pray for each other. That's what this picture is. They are saying, God, help us to know how to take this passage and shepherd our own hearts with it. It has to change us first. You see the man on the left, the, the, the second, there's two men right there on the left. The second guy. I've had an email from him several times since I've been back here as he's working hard to apply what he's learned to his life. His name is Richmond. That's his first name. Richmond. If you ever think about Philippines, pray for Richmond. What he's doing. He's a, he's a, he's a guy who will probably be an elder in a church very, very soon. His heart is to apply what he's learned to his life situations. Next, next slide. This is Pastor Lito. Something incredibly exciting happened on this trip. Near the end of it, God had been working in Pastor Lito's life for 18 years. But something happened in the last week of these two weeks. God had begun to... Just a, just a touch of history. A year ago, we did a, with Pastor Lito and some other men, we did a, a pastoral exposition conference with 50 pastors in Manila. One of them was a, a pastor who had, had no training, brand new pastor in a church. He came to this conference. He said, I know nothing. And out of that conference, there were pastors in Mindanao, pastors in northern Luzon, who heard about this conference, they said, come here and help us. Pastor Lito has now, God has been working in his heart and he says, you know what? We, meaning him and the pastors around him, the pastors of those three churches and this other one, need to be the first responders to those requests. Wow! We need to do that. As Pastor Lito and his wife were taking me to the airport to come home, this is what they said. They said, we were talking last night. And we know, we believe that, Pastor Lito was saying, that God wants me and my brother pastors with me to become the first responders so that training expository preachers in the Philippines is a Filipino thing, not an American thing. Well, that had been our prayer for the last year and a half. That that would be. That's what God did in the last four days of that two weeks. You know, the workshops were great. His blessing in those workshops were wonderful. This was out of sight. Now to Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever to all generations. Amen. Man. Now, we're, our involvement there isn't done, but it is, it is just giving them whatever they think they need so that they can be the first responders to, pastor, to requests from pastors. One more little add-on to that story. The pastor who came to the, Philippi, to the Manila conference, no training whatsoever. 
I had emailed with him a couple of times during the course of the year. He was supposed to come to this conference. Circumstances prevented him from coming. He was supposed to be there on the last day. He didn't show. I was on my way to Magathraim that afternoon. Pastor Lito called me. He said, oh, our friend Ver called me. He'll be here in 15 minutes. Well, I'm going somewhere else. I said, well, what are you going to do? I'll talk to him for a little bit and send him on his way. Well, they talked for two and a half hours. And Pastor Ver told Pastor Lito his life story, what he needed. Part of that was this. My church, Ver said, four times a year sends out evangelistic missions not evangelistic medical missions to different parts of the Philippines. Every time I go, the pastors there say, can you help me with my preaching? He said, not me. I don't know anything about preaching. I need help with my preaching. He asked Pastor Lito, he said, if you will give me the principles that you have learned, I will give them away one at a time every time I go on one of these evangelistic Missions, these medical missions trips to the pastors that are there. I promise you, I'll give them away. When we were talking later, I I looked at Pastor Lee and said, what do you think about that? He said, you couldn't create anything better than that. You couldn't create anything better than that. God was working in Pastor Lito's heart. He's working in Pastor Ver's heart to give what he's doing in Pastor Lito's heart a place to begin to work itself out immediately. We're so excited. Do you think I'm excited about this? Yeah. Yeah. This isn't an American thing. This is a Filipino ministry carried on by the power of the Holy Spirit so that they'll go to Mindanao and they'll go to northern Luzon. God helping them. Next slide. Here's, just, here's those three churches. This is the church in Magatanaim. There's about 85 people there. Um, the pastor of this church, his first name is Boboat, is a young man, but he was trained in Tarlock. And this church that was 30 years old but dying asked for help. They sent him a trained man. And this church is flourishing. Next slide. After church, we had a fellowship dinner like you often do. See the man in the bottom right hand? His name is Alan. He was a drug dealer in Manila six months ago. He had a stroke. He's about 35 years old. He had a stroke. His parents lived in Magatarem. He just went home to be with them, so someone would care for him. On a Sunday morning, recognizing his life was weak, he got in a taxi, a motorcycle, a trike, said to the trike driver, do you know a church I could go to? I need to find God. The trike driver says, well, I don't go to church, but I heard about this one. And he took him to the church in Magatharem. Took him there, and during the next month or so, God saved him. And now, he, after we were standing there taking this picture, he looked at me and he said, you know what? I am so glad I had the stroke that God brought me home, that God saved me and brought me to Himself. I wouldn't trade that for 
anything. Powerful hand of God. Next slide. This is the church in Panakee. About 35 people. About a year old, maybe a year and a half. Next slide. This is a church in Dugupan. It's not actually a church yet. It's a Bible study. I preached there about three weeks ago on a Sunday afternoon. The church in Magatarem sends their music team every Sunday there at 4 o'clock. They sing. Then they have a Bible study. But by the time I get back there again in another year, this will probably be a church plant. There's a, there were 30 people there that Sunday, or that Sunday afternoon at 4. You see the guy in the front, right there in the front foreground who's singing? That's Alvin. He's a Honda. He owns a Honda dealership. But he's got a heart to be a pastor. You can pray for him. Last slide. Pastor Lito, pray for him. Top left. Bottom left. Pray for these guys. They're either pastors, they're either elders in training, deacons in training, elders, deacons, or just laymen in the church that have a heart for the Gospel. Now to Him who is able to do exceeding abundant beyond all that we could ask or think, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.